morning, Bethel. How's everyone this morning? And so glad to see all of you here on this first Sunday of June. Well, as you saw, we are starting a new series. We finished up Psalms last week, and we are starting in the book of Joshua. And I'm excited about this series because there are a lot of amazing stories in the book of Joshua. You hear about the Battle of Jericho. You hear about the day that Joshua prayed for the sun to stand still. All of these amazing stories that we're going to walk through, and it's going to take us most of the summer to get through this uh, amazing book. You know, the, the book of Joshua in the Old Testament, the, the amazing thing about Joshua is he is one of the greatest military leaders in all of history. You could put him up there with Napoleon, with Alexander the Great, Hannibal, any of the greatest military leaders the world has ever produced, you would have to put Joshua up there on that Mount Rushmore because of this book we're going to look at and some of his just amazing military feats that he was able to accomplish through the work of our Lord. So as we're an introduction to this book, let me kind of bring you up so you understand where we are in history. So I'm going to give you like a little 30,000 foot view of the Old Testament up until this point so you kind of understand. So if you remember, God took Abraham and said, Abraham, I want to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you this land of Israel and make your name great. And God did that. He gave him Isaac. Isaac then Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons, which would become the 12 tribes of Israel. As a part of, you know, Joseph being sold into slavery, going down to Egypt, the famine, the hall of the Jacob's tribe moved to Egypt to avoid the famine. And there they spent 400 years in captivity as slaves in Egypt. God sent a man named Moses to deliver his people from Israel. God did some miraculous things through Israel. Brought, at this time, the nation of Israel was around a million plus people. They had grown and grown, and God had multiplied them, fulfilling his promise to Abraham that I will make you a great nation. All of the miracles that you see through the book of Exodus, of God using Moses to deliver the people out of slavery, out of captivity in Egypt, and bring them to back to the promised land of Israel. Now because of their disobedience and their bellyaching while God was delivering them, he says, you know what? Because of your ungrateful heart, you're going to spend 40 years in the wilderness. And this generation of adults who is un thankful for what I've done for them, you will not see the promised land, except for two. That's Joshua and Caleb. Joshua, who we are going to look at over this summer. So we pick up in our verse today, in the beginning of Joshua chapter 1, Moses, which is one of the most famous, if not the most famous character in all of the Old Testament, was given the Ten Commandments. All of these items that Moses, God worked through Moses to do, he is moving off the scene. The story of Joshua begins this way. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. You know, this sounds like 
bad news. Because we've got Moses, who has been this like larger-than-life character. He confronted Pharaoh, the most powerful person on earth at this time. He called down the plagues. He parted the Red Sea. He met God on Mount Sinai. He led the people through the wilderness. But now Moses is dead. And I'm sure the people are asking the question, what are we going to do? Moses is dead. Who is going to lead us? Moses is dead. And we're out here in this wilderness. Life was so much better in Egypt. Let's just go be slaves again in Egypt and get out of this wilderness. Most of you have heard of the two brothers, John and Charles Wesley. John was a preacher who traveled across England and up the east coast of America as a part of the Great Awakening. His brother, Charles, wrote over 9,000 hymns, many of which are still in hymn books today. One of them you sing every Christmas, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. God used them to ignite a movement of gospel preaching and holy living that has lasted for more than 275 years. They are the fathers of the Methodist Church. In 1876, a monument was erected in their memory in Westminster Abbey in London. And if you, you know, put history together, that's where King Charles was just crowned a few weeks ago, there at Westminster Abbey in London. And at the base of this monument are the words by Charles Wesley that says, God buries his workmen, but carries on his work. God buries his workmen, but carries on his work. This could be the theme of Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. God's worker dies, but God's work goes on. Moses is dead. Hello, Joshua. If you've ever played football, football, football coaches like to use the phrase, next man up. Because you never know in football who is going to get hurt. Someone's going to you know, break a leg, get a concussion, sprain an ankle. You've got to have that next person that's ready to jump in and fill the void. You never know when your number or your name is going to get called next man up. And so Joshua was God's next man up. We only know a few basic facts about his background. It says here in this verse we just read, he was called the son of Nun. We know his, he came from the tribe of Ephraim. In Hebrew, his name means Jehovah saves. He spent 40 years as Moses' number one assistant. Can you imagine that? 40 years. He and Caleb were the two spies who brought back a good report. You remember God sent, or Moses told, or God told Moses to send 12 spies into the land to scout it out, to go so you can go and conquer the land. Ten of the spies came back and said, There's giants in the land. The people are too mighty. We can't conquer the land. But it was Joshua and Caleb that came back and said, God is on our side. We can conquer. And because of that, God rewarded them and allowed them to see the promised land. 
Since we know Caleb was 40 years old at that time in Joshua 14.7, it tells us that, we can assume Joshua was around the same age, maybe a few years younger, which means as the book of Joshua opens, Joshua was around 65 years old. And I take that as good news, especially for our congregation here today, because we think about our congregation, you think about 65 years old, it tells us that you're never too old for God to use you. God has a purpose for your life. Above everything else, we'll see as we walk through the verses in Joshua that he's a warrior. He is a fighter. He knew how to lead, how to fight, how to win. He must have been a brilliant tactician because he led the Jews to a long series of victories over the Canaanites, starting with the brilliant attack, unique attack on Jericho, which we are going to look at here in a few weeks. He was not as famous as Moses, but that is no criticism because he served God just as Moses did. Moses walked with God in a way Joshua didn't, but Joshua won battles that Moses could not fight. And the people of God face a big question. Moses is dead. What will happen now? Behind that question lies really a bigger theological issue and a question we could ask ourselves today. Can God be trusted when our leaders are gone? We all face that question sooner or later in our life. My spiritual mentor is moving away. What will happen now? Maybe you've been a part of a church where a pastor has resigned and left, leaving the church with no pastor. What will happen now? Or maybe it's my husband of 52 years has passed away. What will happen now? Maybe the founder of a Christian ministry or company has moved on. What will happen now? Nothing that matters has changed because God is still on the throne. But it takes time to figure that out. After the death of Moses, the Jews must now discover that truth for themselves. Moses is dead, but nothing that matters has changed their mission is still the same, and that's to take the promised land. And I think each generation must answer these same questions that the Israelites are faced with right now. Can we trust God in a new situation? We are confronted with new and pressing situations every week. And I think this same question comes back, can I trust God? in this situation can we trust god when so much has changed can we trust god when our leaders have left us or you could say it in another way the god of abraham is he our god too the god of isaac is he our god too the god of jacob is he god, our god too now the jews must find the answer to this question the god of moses is he our god too you know i think today many college kids or young adults that have been raised 
in the church are faced with this question as they move away from home. And maybe you wrestled with this question when you went away to college. This has been my, fair, my parents' faith. Is he my God too? Christian young people must figure this out. Each generation must find the answer to the question, can we still trust God today? It doesn't matter what I say, you're going to have to go to the Jordan River and find this out for yourself. Is he your God? With that in mind, let's take a look at some steps to the future as they are revealed in the first few verses of this book of Joshua. Step number one, we have to let go of the past. It says in verse two, my servant Moses is dead. Now therefore rise, go over this Jordan. Is it a bad thing that Moses is dead? No. He served God in his generation, and when the, his work was done, God took him home. This is the normal order of things. No one lives forever. Leaders come on the scene, and they move off the scene, and God rises up new leaders. We can't go back. We can't stay here. We can't continue looking back. We must move forward with what God has called us to do. You can't go back to the past, not to relive the good times or to undo the mistakes you made. You must continue to push forward. Life is a river that is moving endlessly onward. It matters not where you are happy in your present situation or whether you seek deliverance from it. You can't stay where you are forever. The only way to, is to go forward. So when you are tempted to despair... Remember that you can't go back. You can't stay where you are, but by God's grace, you can move forward to where God wants you to go one step at a time. God wants the nation of Israel to go where? Over the Jordan. What is over the Jordan? The promised land. And that's where God is taking them. They could stay in the mountains of Gilead, which is where they are currently housed, on the east side of the Jordan. But that's not where God wants them. That's not the promised land. They must go forward. Which leads us to number, number, step number two. We have to get not, not just let go of the past, but get ready to move forward. It says, now therefore rise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them to the people of Israel. All right, Calvin, go to this, this next slide, this picture. So this was a picture I took back in February when we were in Israel. So I'm standing in the city of Jericho, and I'm looking back over into the mountains of Gilead, which is where the nation of Israel is sitting at this moment in our portion of Scripture. If you see the building, the large building with the red roof, if you look just beyond that, you'll see a kind of a darker, greener area. That is the Jordan River Valley. That is the very you know, lush area where the river is flowing through. And just on the other side, the mountains going up, that is the Gilead Mountains. And that is where the nation of Israel and our story find themselves at this point. Just a little bit of current geography. If you look up the mountain 
and you see it almost looks like a snow capped up there, but that's actually a city on top of that mountain present day. That's Amman, Jordan, the capital of the nation of Jordan. So the green area where the Jordan River Valley on the other side of the river is the Jordan, nation of Jordan. This side of the river, which I'm standing on, is the nation of Israel. I'm actually standing in the West Bank at this point. But just to give you a little geographic sense of where we are, where the nation of Israel is finding themselves, they're standing on those forsaken mountains, looking across to the promised land, where scripture says it's full of milk and honey. And they know that that is where God wants them to go. Something else that I find very interesting about this portion of scripture, that area, that green area that you see in that picture is the traditional baptism site where John the Baptist baptized Jesus. So it's in that same area where God is going to send the nation of Israel over into the promised land that he would later, Jesus Christ, would be baptized there. So the following verses talk about the extent of the land that God promised his people. God never intended for his people to have just a little foothold inside the Middle East. He wanted them to build a great nation that would stretch from Lebanon to the Euphrates River to the Mediterranean Sea. God promised this vast area to them if only they would move and take it. It says in verse 3, it says, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. If they did not take possession of all that God had promised them, and we're going to see that they didn't, it wouldn't be God's fault. He would give them as much land as they could stand on. Man, that's quite an amazing promise. But it's also a challenge. For the moment, let's focus on what they had to do first. They must cross the Jordan River. But what is on the other side of the Jordan River? The promised land and also the enemy that they must confront. They crossed at a spot not far from Jericho with this city with enormous double walls reminding them that they must fight to obtain what God had promised them. When Paul wrote his letter to the church at Corinth, he offers this comment on the situation at Ephesus. He says, For a wide door for effective work has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. <laughs> Paul's telling them, I've got this huge opportunity to go and do great work, but it's going to be a challenge because there's adversaries there wanting to fight against me. That seems to always be the case. Opportunities and challenges or opportunities and enemies always go together. Someone once said, the door of opportunity swings on the hinges of opposition. Nothing easy ever comes in life. And here's the message to God's people. You can stay where you are, but I've got something better for you. You can stay where you are, but the miracles I want to do in your life happen on the other side of the Jordan River. You can stay where you are, but I'm calling you to move forward. 
move forward. And what God said to his people then, he says to us now, if we want to see God work, we have to continue to move forward by faith, knowing that as we go through the open doors, there will be adversaries there waiting for us. But God is with us. God is with us. Will you have enough courage to go forward and do what God is calling you to do? Step number three, affirm the promise of God. It says in verse five, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Man, what a promise. That's got to be the greatest promise in all of Scripture, to know that our God is with us. And as you think about this amazing promise, don't overlook this phrase, just as I was with Moses. When Joshua heard that, remember, he's been Moses' assistant for 40 years. He has seen how God was with Moses. He has seen how God hardened Pharaoh's heart, how God sent the plagues upon Egypt to get the nation out of Egypt. He saw how he parted the Red Sea and they walked across on dry ground. He saw how manna came from heaven to feed them every day while they were in the wilderness. He saw all of this and he knows And when God says, just as I was with Moses, I'll be with you. And that is some assurance. For 40 years, they wondered. Their shoes never wore out. They never ran out of food. They never lost a battle. Moses, wow, what a man. Now he's dead. Will God be with Joseph? Joshua as what he was with Moses, and the answer God tells him right at the beginning verses of this is yes. That is a wonderful promise. You know, if a a um, kind of a chant that I learned at, and maybe you did at growing up in church as a young man, it went something like this: the pastor would say something, and the church would respond back. It, he would say, "God is good all the time." And all the time, God is good. Some of you guys are smiling at me because you remember this. You remember this phrase. So we're going to try it out again. I'm going to say God is good, and you guys are going to respond. And I'll say it all the time, and you guys are going to tell me God is good. So let's try it again. God is good, and all the time, the nation of Israel has learned this in the wilderness under Moses' leadership for 40 years. And they're going to be reminded of it as they face the enemy during these chapters in Joshua. Somewhere I read that this chant started the churches of Nigeria. And after they said that chant, everyone would say at the end, I am witness. I am witness. That's good and that's powerful and it's biblical. Then I heard about a church who said it this way, God is good all the time in every situation no matter what. He's always a good God. So if you put it together this way, God is good all the time in every situation, no matter what, I am a witness. I'm a witness to God's goodness. 
When you think about your life and where you are, these words should easily come out of your mouth because God is so good to us. And there's a deeper meaning of the promise of God made to Joshua in this verse 5. It's not a promise of an easy road. It's not a promise of an unlimited victory. It's not a promise of no tears. After all, Joshua is a book of battles. And as we read early in the chapters, and you'll discover that there is a lot of fighting. But God is saying, you've got to fight for the land I'm giving to you, but I will be with you as you go. As you fight these spiritual battles in your life, with your children, in your own heart, It's not going to be easy. There will be tears shed. There will be sleepless nights. But we can take the promise that God is with us. Step number four. Choose the hard road of obedience. We come to some very familiar words in the next part of this chapter. After promising to be with Joshua... The Lord now tells him what he must do in order to succeed. He says, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. And do not be dismayed, for the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. He gives that promise again to them. Three times in this passage that we just read, he tells Joshua what? Be strong and courageous. That's something that we are called to even as Christians today. Be strong and courageous. No doubt Joshua felt an overwhelming sense of inferiority trying to fill the shoes of this great leader, Moses. To be placed as the leader of God's people, knowing his doubts, the Lord tells him, do not be afraid. I am with you. But there's a catch here. Because God's promise, it comes with a condition. Joshua and the people must be careful to obey all the law Moses had given to them. For that generation, it would have been primarily the book of De- Deuteronomy. That is what would they have been, uh, God would have been referring to at this point. But for us today, it means the whole word of God. This is simple. Verse 7, God is telling them, know God's word. Verse 8, talk about God's word. The second part of verse 8, he says, meditate on God's word. And the last part of verse 8, Obey God's word. If you want to commit a verse to scripture or to a verse of scripture to memory this week, this would be a good one for you. 
This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but as you meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. How are we going to be prosperous and may have good success? Know God's word, meditate on it, and do it. He tells Joshua, that's how you are going to lead my nation. Note here the phrase, be careful and do and, uh, according to the law. I suppose you could flip that around and say, unless we are careful to obey, we will find reasons not to obey. And here's the thing. No one drifts into holiness by accident. You don't drift closer to God. To get closer to God takes intentionality. It's hard work because we're fighting against our sinful flesh. You don't drift that way. No one becomes godly without a personal effort. It's like saying be careful to stay on your diet because if you aren't careful, you will drift in a diet starting day one. When that belly begins to grumble and the only thing in your, in your cupboard is junk, what do you do? You reach for the junk because you're hungry. That's just human nature. But this is not drudgery or a heavy burden god promises success if his people will obey and do the word of the lord so why did god use joshua let's stand back from this story and ask ourselves why god used joshua in such a big way as we finish up today when moses died joshua was ready because he had been preparing himself for this moment for years when god called him joshua had no master plan except to obey. That was his plan. Obey the Lord. And when he ordered the people to move out, he had no advanced knowledge of the future, but he did it anyway. He did it in obedience. Joshua was a prepared man, a called man, an obedient man. Mark Bailey, the the former president of Dallas Theological Seminary, said, God often confirms his will after we obey not before. It's like, man, that's an interesting thought. God often confirms his will after we obey, not before. Did Joshua know how the walls of Jericho would come tumbling down? No. He was standing on the Mount of Gilead, looking over the Jordan River to where I was standing in the ancient city of Jericho, looking at those massive walls, thinking, How are we ever going to conquer that city? But what did he do? He obeyed and crossed the Jordan River. What Joshua did is what every single person in this room can do, no matter your age, no matter your background, no matter your financial situation, The one thing that he did that God calls all of us to do is to obey. And Joshua did that. Let me wrap this up with just a few things for us to think about in our 21st century today. You know, when we let go of the past, we are free to pursue God's vision for us in the future. 
So many of us are captured by what has happened to us in the past. Maybe it's a prior relationship or maybe it's a prior relationship at your church or with a prior church and you are holding on to that and it's held you captive for what God wants to do spiritually in your life in the future. Let go of the past. When we lead with courage, others will follow our example. Whether that's in the home, Dad, as you lead with courage, your family, your wife and children will follow. As you lead in the workplace and you do what's right, others will find the courage to follow. When we dare to trust and obey, miracles begin to happen. The greatest miracle, when we trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ upon a cross for our sins, the greatest miracle that could ever happen takes place in our hearts. God sent Jesus Christ to this earth to die upon a cross for our sins. And the miracle that takes place is we are forgiven of our sin and made into a right and a brand new relationship with God the Father. And as we grow in that relationship and we learn to trust and obey, miracles happen in our life. The things that we used to struggle with, As we draw closer to God, God begins to change our heart. We begin to not desire the things of this world, but desire what God has for us. Billy Graham said, courage is contagious. When a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are often stiffened. Moses is dead. But God is alive. Hello, Joshua. Next man up. God is calling some of you here today to be the next man up, the next woman up, to look and say, I want to lead. How is God working in your heart today? Let's pray.